Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. One of our village elders, one of my favorite uh, voices on the path of wisdom, of staying awake, of being in that state of beauty and joy, uh, is back again. I don't know if we've had anyone on more than this individual. Um, and, and he's never once said no. I've asked a lot of times, and every time he says yes, and for that I'm forever grateful uh, he's um, been such a gift to me in my life. His work in the world has crossed paths with so many of you guys, our listeners, and the world at large. Uh, and with that being said, I'm just super excited to have back on the show today my dear friend Mark Nepo. Mark, welcome back. Well, wonderful to be with you again. Yes, I love our, our, our explorations together. We do. We do go exploring, as we said before we hit record. We don't know where we're going, but it, it, it will be somewhere beautiful. Um, so maybe, maybe we have a couple new listeners that haven't been introduced to you and your work in the world. Uh, I always want to begin there just to um, let them hear a bit about you. Uh, when you introduce yourself and that work in the world, where do you begin? Yeah, I, you know, I just begin with the, the fact that, of course, I'm, I'm blessed to be here at all. And I'm a poet, a philosopher, and a long-term cancer survivor, uh, going on 35 years. And, and uh, you know, I view my, uh, my job as to help introduce people to their own gifts and their own wisdom, because we're more together than alone. And that's the title of one of my books. And, um, and you know, I feel my job is to open up a heart space. So that we can bear witness together. Absolutely. And you do it so well uh, and with such grace and humility. Um, I, I told you that I kind of took a dive back into the Book of Soul, uh, which is um, uh, always recommended no matter what season of life we're in. Um, and, and as we enter this fall season, for, for me, I don't know why the spring doesn't do this to me, but the fall reinvigorates a, a sense of aliveness, uh, maybe a sense that change is good, that, that change is beautiful, that, that uh, uh, transformation uh, is maybe what it means to be alive. Maybe that's it. Maybe I just got all my answer I was looking for. I just needed you to mirror this back to me. Um, but, but so much of your work is along the conversation of, ali of aliveness, right? Of, of keeping the candle lit, of staying awake, yeah. of being aware. Um, I, I guess as we enter into this conversation along aliveness, how, how over the years has this shifted for you both in priority, you know, prioritizing staying awake, and then, and then maybe your practices that that maintain or that keep that priority in focus? Sure. So, so first, before I, I dive into that, let, let's just, let me speak a little bit to your, your, your being called to fall. And, and it's not, you know, it, fall is a time of transformation. And if we look at trees and leaves especially, um, they're great teachers mm. because, you know, they teach us uh, how to wait, how to be patient, you know, after all, leaves, they, they take in light. I mean, photosynthesis is they turn light into food. <laughs> they turn light into food. And that's what a spiritual practice is. That's what love does. 
you know that's what compassion does is by being present and 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 devoting ourselves to presence by bearing witness and accepting we turn light into food and then you know the reward for that is at this time of year you know that of course we all know that the leaves just turn immense you know the colors are immense yeah. and so you know before they let go they are their brightest mm. there is nothing between what's inside and outside <laughs> before they let go and you know one of the great journey moments in my my cancer journey so many so many years ago i was facing i'll never forget it and it was october 4th 1987 because that was a day that i was facing some really difficult decisions about whether to have a a, a surgery or not whether to accept certain treatments or not or to wait and um, and I was, you know, stressed and afraid. And um, and there was an unusually early I was living in uh, <clears throat> upstate New York, near Albany, New York at the time. And the leaves were just brilliant. And there was an unexpected blizzard on October 4th. And the weight of that snow. Because the leaves were still on the trees. Just toppled hundreds of years of trees it was just a a, a a tree devastation and the 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 lesson for me so powerful that day which i've never forgotten was no no matter how brilliant the leaves were if they had let go the trees wouldn't have come down wow. and i was being told and instructed no matter how prepared, no matter what research I was doing, no matter how clever, no matter how attentive, the only way to survive this storm was to let go, mm. was to let go. So, so aliveness for me as we move through, I mean, that's one way that, you know, we tend to think of aliveness as, you know, carpe diem, seize the day and grab the gusto and everything. And of course, that's part of it. That's part of it. And I think that when I was young, that certainly was, you know, I've always believed in effort and never holding back, giving my all, um, giving everything to whoever is near me. And, and, um, and now the paradox starts to creep in um, because not in place of, but alongside is... Being alive and awake has to do with letting go, with surrender, with co-creating life. With and you know this has changed my um, uh, how I view creativity. And um, you know my book, Drinking from the River of Light, which is all about this, <clears throat> is that we're taught in the West to think like as, as artists, whatever the field that we're like little gods, we create out of nothing. Well, no, <laughs> no, that's not, that's not what my experience has been. It is a relationship with the unknown. Creativity is the trail, the trail of the lifelong conversation with, with life. And so to open to surrender, to listen, to take notes, to, you know, one of the paradoxes, and this has to do with being awake for me, 
and <clears throat> that's coming later in life in, in the last 10, 15 years. The, the goal of all perception is to get to the edge of all we perceive so that we're, we're always entering what we don't know. Now, we suffer today in our modern world, especially with the stridency and the polarization and, uh, you know, but throughout history, to confirm what we already know is not education. That's right. Right. To get to the edge of what we know so our perspectives can enlarge and deepen, that, that is education. That is staying awake. So, you know, I... A short, and I'll pause there, but a short poem of mine I know you know is, uh, those who wake are the students, those who stay awake are the teachers, how we take turns. <laughs> <laughs> how we take turns. Uh, I, I don't know if anyone braids the both ands of life like you do in your work, in your poetry. Um that is the promise of paradox, right? That, that, yeah. that, that it's always um, careful the extremes you go to because in order for harmony to be there, it's probably not either or, it's probably both and. So let me, let me share. I mean, this is, uh, we, we're always live when we're together. So th this is a poem I actually wrote yesterday. Which Fresh speaks. off the press. Let's go. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and and it's about it is about um, staying awake and aliveness and and the orientation of relationship versus. So it's called destined, and and I explore a different definition of destiny. Destined. Hmm. We are destined, but in the way that flowers are destined to open in the way that waves are destined to fold on themselves and gather anew. And fate is not the arrow of our secret ambition, but the turning of a life around an unshakable center, the way the earth turns on its axis in the endless journey around the sun. So when I confess that we are meant for each other, I am not singling us out from the thousands of lovers who have stumbled through the centuries, but more that you are the rain that opens my petal. And in that moment of unfolding, we are touched in the one spot that everyone who ever loved has known. Hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, we need rain. We need friendship rain. Um, that's how we bloom. And so, so, you know, another way to, that, that, that has shifted in the practice of aliveness for me is, <clears throat> you know, we're taught in some ways that, uh, our job is to go from here to there, whatever, however you name that, you know, to go from, uh, unknown to known, from failure to success, from, you know. But life has taught me that it's not about going from here to there. It's going from in to out. And again, if, if you look at flowers are a great teacher in this. Because look at, look at first of all, flowers start 
with a seed underground mm -hmm. and they are drawn innately toward a force they don't even know what it is yet we call it light right. they don't even see it yet they're underground right right and finally they break ground and now they grow in both directions roots and shoots and eventually they flower by literally turning inside out hmm. and they reveal all their beauty. And they do this without going anywhere. Wow, just right where they are. Right where they are. And of course, we, being very gifted and complicated, though simple in a lot of ways, creatures, <clears throat> we do move about out here in the surface world. But in all the ways that matter, we grow like those flowers. Mm, in the world of formlessness. <clears throat> yeah, we are destined to open the way flowers open. Oh. Wow, I love that. Um, you, you mentioned just a minute ago, and, and I think this is a good doorway into the dialogue. Uh, I missed the student self and teacher soul when I first read the uh. book of Soul. And, and going back through that, I was like, oh, this is, this is salty. There's something here. I, I, need, <laughs> I, I, I need some, I, we need to break this down a bit. So hold my hand in that dialogue because, sure. you know, one of the things that I wrote down was, you know, the student within us is looking for time management skills while the teacher within us is offering a different way of apprehending reality. And I... I mean, there's true self, false self there. There's some ego, soul <clears throat> stuff at work. Let's walk down that path because that, that was super helpful to me. So, so thank you. So the, that, that chapter that tries to explore that I, I feel I know I recognize it in myself. I think all of us, <clears throat> all human beings, we have a student self and a teacher soul. And those voices are always in conversation. And so... The student self that negotiates the outer world, that tries to bridge inner and outer. We're, you know, one of the great gifts for being human is we have this capacity to problem solve. It's a great tool in the toolbox, no question. It's not a worldview. Right, right. Problem solving is not a worldview, though we often make it one. Right. Problem solving is not a philosophy of life, it's a tool. So very often, you know, my mind sees something, I want to problem solve it. I want to choose A or B, or I want to, you know, uh, figure, figure out how to negotiate it. But when I consult my deeper teacher soul and say, okay, what's the solution? How do I do this? And often my teacher soul says, well, what makes you think it's a problem? <laughs> why are you calling it a problem and and often asks me to perceive a different way of looking or seeing that doesn't run to problem solve right right run to problem solve and so it's not for us to give up the skill of problem solving but to right size it it's a tool in the toolbox yes and so when we when we are you know the, so that so yes the the student self was going to s try to navigate for us and say this is how you get from here to there this is the best way to go a to b mm -hmm. 
But then through great love or great suffering, we are stopped and we are forced to pause time and again where the teacher's soul says, where, where are you going? Yeah, that's how to get there, but are you sure that's where you want to go? Are you sure you're going anywhere? What's the, what's the real journey? Where's the question? You know, I follow that up in the book. There's a story, a wonderful story about a, a young uh, anthropologist who's on his way to, to his first uh, speaking event. He's been asked to speak at a conference, and he's driving through the, up, up in Montana, he's driving through the, the vast fields and open plains before the mountains and he's he's running a little late and um all of a sudden out of nowhere this herd of elk block the road Hmm. and they're all kind of you know it's as if they're all staring at him and he's like honking the horn like you know this is all beautiful but like i i don't want to miss my first speaking thing like come on how how problem solve how do i get out of this they don't budge they seem to be staring at him, and then he stops, and finally the he has no choice. The car stops, and and then he gets out of the car, and he's totally frustrated. And then his, his teacher, Saul, says, well, look around. And he turns around, and the sun is setting behind the mountain, and the herd of elk aren't looking at him. They're watching the sunset. <laughs> And he's forced to wait and watch it with them. And finally, when the sun goes down, the elk, the elk move on. And now the road is clear again, but he's, he's unsure exactly where he's going. Hmm. Hmm. Well, so just so I can wrap my hands around this a, a, a bit more, the student, the student self is always thinking there's something outside of me I've got to go get. There's something I don't have yet. Um, yeah, there's something missing. You know, we're, we're taught there's something missing or there's, some, there's too much or too little of something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Either I'm weighed down by something that I need to rid myself of or there's not enough and I need to get something. And again, in, in perspective those things can be true. I I don't have water. I don't have milk. I need food or there's too much weight. There's too much conflict. There's too much noise. I need to empty it. That's all fine. But when we start to identify who we are by our problems, then we, then the teacher soul is always ready to say, why are you, why are you naming yourself this way? Yes. Yeah. You're, you're more than, life is yeah. more than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of, I am sad, I'm experiencing sadness, what can that teach me? Rather, yes. than, rather than saying, identifying with, I am fill in the blank. It flips the script, you go inward before you go outward and, and you're now saying, what is sorrow teaching? What is that anger teaching? What is the sadness and, teaching? And maybe maybe problem solving is I do need food to fill yeah. an emptiness. Yeah, yeah. But that's, that's a temporary solution that doesn't, the teacher's soul is saying, hey, well, after you digest that, you're still going to be empty. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. what's that about? <laughs> I love that. 
such a useful and necessary teaching. Um, so I think, I think Ashton, that the thing is not, not to, uh, you know, minimize the student self and say, oh, well, I'll always, it's, it's for the two parts to always be in conversation, to always be in conversation with each other. You know, I have, I have a poem of mine, I, I won't read it now, but I can tell you it's a little parable, it's called The Edge, and it's about four travelers who come to the edge and peer out mm. and one looks out the one who believes in nothing looks out and says i knew it that that's all it's nothing more than what is i knew it but the one who sees everything says oh for me it holds everything it's mysterious it's incomprehensible and the fearful one says uh we should never come <laughs> I, I shouldn't have taken a chance and there's a blind one, and the blind one edges himself to the very edge and, and inhales and goes, it's as I've always known. And then they, it's too late to go back, so they're forced to stay there for the night, and they ask each other, well, what are you going to bring back? And the one who, saw not, who believes in nothing says, well, I'm going to go back and say, you know, this is all there is. Don't bother looking for anything else. And the one who sees everything says, I'm going to say we are, we're cradled by something incomprehensible. And the fearful one, of course, says, I'm going to tell people, don't take a chance. And then they ask the blind one, and he says, back? I'm not going back. <laughs> I've tasted and I've seen. So, so those, that's another way to say that those are another quartet of voices that yeah. live within each of us. That's right. We always have one who sees everything. We have a part of us that's ready to see nothing. We have a fearful one. And, you know, it's not by accident that all the mythologies have some blind mm. truth speaker, the soothsayer, Tiresias, in the Roman, you know. And, and often their outer blindness keeps distraction so that they can see inner truth. Yep. Yep. A quartet of voices. I love that. Okay, so I also know there's two great doorways towards aliveness, um, great love and great suffering. You have taught me this. Uh, Father Richard Rohr uh, has taught me this. Um, you, you, you write about, you know, letting beauty in when suffering and then let love, letting love in while struggling. Um, talk to me about uh, great love and great suffering and how... Um, maybe, maybe how, how do we stay awake in those moments? Because it's very easy to be caught in illusion and be asleep uh, in those moments. I, I, I'd love to hear maybe how you have uh, welcomed great love and great suffering. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, I, I, and let me just preface this by, by saying that I, I've come to believe and understand that, you know, I'm a lifelong teacher, and one of the things that I believe in is you, you really can't change anyone. You can, the most we can do is be like a greenhouse. We can offer warmth and light, and then other people will grow as they will grow. That's but, but I can't, no one can force change or manipulate a change. It happens when it happens, and it happens 
on a timeline that is inherent to the person growing. So, so with that said, you know, I know from my cancer journey, of course, and from other difficult times that, you know, we, we look at, we've always looked at beauty and suffering and love separately to, to better understand them, but that's not how they seem to appear in life. They're, you know, it's like we could look at geology. We could see a nice, beautiful table of all the different stones and elements and things that exist out in in the in the geologic world. But that, but you know, you 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 go to a mountain and you pick up a stone. It's got everything in it. And life is like life is this mysterious whole. So, you know, I I have found that, um, and I would go to this was a this was. You know, I'm now 70, but this was when I was 59. Um, I had maybe the most difficult physical uh, journey since my cancer journey. And it was somewhat because of the treatments I'd had. I, I had a stomach flu. And most people, when a stomach flu happens, you know, after 48 hours, your body repairs. But because of, um, I had a neuropathy from chemo that I had many years ago, which affects all your nerve endings. Mm. So the stomach nerve didn't quite heal. And so my stomach was like a backed up sink and it wouldn't empty. And of course, once you have something, then everybody, there's a name for everything. So this I learned was called gastropoiesis. And it's not clear. Sometimes it can be chronic and sometimes it heals. Like it, you just may never... And I was lucky that in about seven months it it did heal, but during that time, you can't eat very much, and it's unpredictable. So there's the suffering. You know, you just don't know if three bites of cottage cheese is going to set you off or two. And and you know, during that time, it was in the summertime, and we have wonderful bird feeders here, thanks to my wife Susan, um, and so that we. And we have uh, here in Michigan, you know, Baltimore Orioles only come for a couple of days every summer. And I was in the middle of this and there they were. They were at the window. And so I was eager to get where I could not miss them. And as I was quietly going toward the window, I got this attack of this pain in my stomach. And there, there you have it. There you have it. The details may be different, but everyone at some point will be in this position. So I couldn't deny the pain, but I couldn't let that define everything. And I had to, because if you deny the pain, it gets worse. So I had to let the pain be what it was and let the beauty in while I was suffering not just because the Orioles were beautiful, but because that's part of the medicine. Hmm. That's part of the medicine. So we have to, you know, so another way to think of this is, say you're walking on a hike out in the mountains because friends have told you that the view from this peak is just magnificent. So you're almost up to the peak and you stub your toe, like the way on a boulder, like where you think you might have broken your toe, you know. Well, Initially, it's a beautiful day. The view hasn't gone anywhere. The light hasn't gone anywhere. But for that initial few minutes, 
the entirety of life is the pain in your toe that is now ringing through all, right. all right. of your body. But that's when we have a choice. Because then it starts to throb after five or ten minutes. And now, oh, the miracle of the day is still there. The view is still there. And I'm hobbling. But I can still make it now to the top to take in the view without neither denying the pain or the beauty. So you welcome... I mean, I know it's. I know stubbing the toe is not a welcome thing. It's not something you want to do, but as as we welcome all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, our capacity gets increased to enjoy all of it, to be transformed by all of it. I think what we're asked is to develop a faith that that in us, which holds everything is where resilience lies. Mm. That that, you know, letting the pain and the beauty in, together that will touch into a resilience that will help get us mm. through it more deeply than the student self that wants to particularly problem solve it. Yep, yep, well said. Um, so we're always asked to let more in. That's right, that's right, yes. And the degree to which that happens is always contingent on just how open are we, right? So here's another, another way to look at that, which is, there's a wonderful uh, haiku. Uh, it's you, it's you, or at least I had run across it for years as anonymous till I discovered who said it. And it was uh, a Japanese a samurai who had given up being a samurai. He put his sword away to study to become a poet. Hmm. His name was Masahide. Masahide. And, Masahide. and his, his famous haiku is, my barn having burned to the ground, I can see the moon more completely. Yes. My barn having burned to the ground, I can see the moon more completely. And so it doesn't minimize the loss of the barn, the grief the frustration, and the loss of the barn opened him to a vastness that he had not known. Yeah. You know, I, I, when I reflect on a lot of your work connected to aliveness, um, I think one of the chapters in here was, was slowly is the way. And... Maybe that's part of fall that, that, that kind of nudges me a little bit is, is that, that subtle wink from the trees of, it, hey, this is how things are, uh, and, it's, and it's slow. Um, t talk to me about how we stay open, how we stay alive, versus how we clench and close when we, when we hold things tightly and then try to speed things up. I think there's a I think there's a, a great lesson, you know, maybe we're all longing to know about slowly is the way. Well, I think, I think, I know I've certainly humbly learned over more than once that it's very natural that when we're afraid or in pain or worried, there's a part of us that speeds up. We breathe faster. 
as if we can get out of here. <laughs> and that's understandable. But the deeper, this is again where the student self wants to run somewhere. But the teacher soul tells us, no, the, the, the only way to, to meet whatever we're in is to slow down and open up. Student and self wants to run. Teacher soul goes, there's something in this. This is the juice. There's something here for you. Well, not just something. The only thing, the only way through is to, to open up right where we are. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the only way. You know, I, I remember, you know, as a kid, uh, I've kind of outgrown it, uh, but I, I have asthma. As a, and as a kid, the, you know, it was, I, I, meta, the inhalers were not yet developed. I was like 16 or 17 when I got my first inhaler. So before that, I had to take a pill and I had to sit and just struggle breathing till the pill would get in my system. It took about 40 minutes. And, and I think before I had any knowledge of what meditation was, I think I was learning how to meditate because I was being taught even at that early age, well, I want to, you know, I can't breathe. How do I get out of this? Yep. Yep. Well, I can't. Right. There's nowhere, there's nowhere to go except to breathe slower and deeper, slower and deeper until this passes. And so, you know, likewise, when we, when we're in pain, and, you know, I mean, certainly if I touch a stove and I burn myself, I can move away from yep. the heat. Yep. But once I've been burned, there's nowhere to go with the burn. And it's the same thing with love. We get hurt by, by being in love, but we can't run from love. There's, there's, because if we don't love, what's the point of being here? Right. And so often the teacher, the student in us will want to say, uh, well, stay away from love. That's just, that's your solution. But now the teacher's soul says, and then what? <laughs> and then what? What, what, what will life be like without law? So maybe the better approach the teacher soul opens up is how do you, how do you become better at law? Yeah. 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 The school of how to be here. <laughs> yes, absolutely. How to, that's one of the most menacing assumptions in life. And it has been throughout history the assumption that life is other than where we are. Mm. Yep. Yep. It's over there. It's, it's, you know, it's in that relationship. It's in that dream. It's in that, you know, and one of the things that was a hard gift from almost dying from cancer was it removed that from me. There was, uh, everything is right here. Mm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I'm 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 so convicted even just sitting here thinking how, on my best days is one out of 10 moments am I willing to be there? You know, I mean, I I oh gosh, just how often maybe it's that American like I got to go, I got to go to the next place, I got to do the next thing and and yet the gift, the opening, the joy, the peace, the rest, the life so this is 
Yeah, so so Ashton, I think that this leads to not to blame ourselves when we're trying to run from where we are or think life is somewhere else, but to course correct. I think that's the spiritual practice is to course correct. So when we find ourselves uh, running, slow down. When we find ourselves thinking it's over there, no, it's here. And what is it that I'm sensing over there? How, what is it mirroring is right here in me? And that means to follow, you know, the word trust literally means follow your heart. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of William Blake's aphorisms was straight is the road to improvement, but crooked is the road to genius. <laughs> and so we, give, give that to me again. Straight is the road to improvement but crooked is the road to genius. Mm, that's a gift. And genius is, shares the root with the word genie. It's not so much about brilliance as it is about the attendant spirit, mm. the soul, the inner voice. So following our heart, which is never in a straight line, will lead us to our inner voice. And so... <clears throat> How do we, you know, this practice slowly is the way is how do we move at the pace of return to moving at the pace of what is real so that we can follow what's alive. So a a simple kind of question, recurring question I ask myself whenever I find myself in something that's difficult or confusing or tangled, rather than problem solve it, I say, I ask myself, is what's before me heartening or disheartening? Hmm. Even if it's difficult, if it's heartening, then I'm in. Hmm. If it's if it's disheartening, if it's taking life away, then what am I doing there? So I might be in a relationship. You and I might be difficult friends. Maybe it's a complicated relationship. But if if what's between us is life-giving, well, then I'm in. But if what's between us is toxic or it's life-draining, then what am I I doing there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great litmus test to always be asking. And then, too, I mean, I wrote this down as you just spoke it. Moving at the pace of what's real. I mean, that's a question. I need to write that on my hand every five minutes and look at it. Am, am, am I moving at the pace of what's real or am I moving at the pace of my illusions, which I'm always going to be thinking I'm getting left behind. There's not enough. The race is still going. You're going to lose the race. You know, listen, listen to all that athletic, yeah. athletic verbiage we, we use in those moments. Uh, or am I moving at the pace of the tree, of the flower, uh, the slow and steady. So this is where, you know, I know one practice for me is we all have these small moments where things seem like they're glowing or they're extra real. And and that's uh, moving at the pace of real opens them. So this is where, like Blake also said, you could find eternity in a grain of sand. Well, you know, and they don't have to be like stereotypically beautiful you know i can remember being in new york city 
and I was, um, you know, late for an appointment with an editor. And but all of a sudden, as I was kind of racing, there was a sudden like burst of light in an alley between two buildings, and it shone on this broken piece of glass, and it stopped me. It was it was just something about that light on that broken piece of glass was holy. And so I wound up standing there, you know, just so I was even more late. Mm. But that was the opening to return to the pace of what is real. It was as if through that broken piece of lit, broken piece of glass, the teacher soul was saying, where are you going? <laughs> right. yep. where, where, what do you what do you think is where you're going that isn't where you are? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, that doesn't mean we don't keep the appointment, but it changes how we keep the appointment. I don't enter the appointment then from a place of lack, looking for something to fill me. I look, I enter the appointment, bringing my aliveness to the aliveness I can meet. Yeah. Yeah, I think you even write along the realm of peace that while much is important, very little is urgent, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I learned this too through my cancer journey that, you know, unless you can't breathe or you're bleeding, nothing is urgent. <laughs> I mean, unless maybe you can't breathe or you're bleeding, nothing is, is urgent. I mean, it might be significant. It might be important to me right. or you and it might be agitating and I feel all you know but but really is it urgent no most of what we I, would classify as urgent is actually a story we're telling ourselves and it requires if something is significant it requires us to slow down mm, yep. to find our way through And so, again, when we speed up, it's not to blame or judge ourselves. This is the work of self-awareness, is to become so intimate with our own patterns that we recognize and go, oh, oh, I, re I recognize this. Yep, yep. I'm feeling urgent. I'm speeding up. I actually need to slow down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's significant, I need to slow back to the pace of what is real so I can let in as much as possible and get help from all the resources around me. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe this is a question I haven't ever asked you before, but how much of that is like bodily awareness for you? Like, I think for me, I've just started to notice, oh, hey, you're breathing a little bit faster. The, the, the heart rate's up. You're... I, at first, I just considered those things like things that were flashing urgent or big deal, but now they're actually flashing to me. Whoa, 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 time out. You, you, may, need to, you may need to step back for a second and, and rename, relabel. This is why you know, we need to honor our reality and realize it's always more than what we're going through. So... So if when I'm afraid, that's real, but everything in life is not fear. Like fear might be in my whole body, but the ground I'm standing on is not afraid. Right. 
The air around me is not afraid. So how do I honor? It's like the beauty with the suffering. How do I honor the fear is real? But then how do I touch into everything that is not afraid? Yeah. And that becomes a practice. That becomes a practice so that we can, you know, I, I feel I've all, I feel that fear uh, is to be moved through, not obeyed. <laughs> Say that again. Fear is to be moved through, not obeyed. That's good. Yep. Because if I, if I ask my fear when I'm afraid, what should I do? It'll say, oh, be more afraid. Hmm. So, but how do I allow it? But consult my heart, my mind, my friends, the ground that is not afraid. How do I right-size it? Not, not try to eliminate it or deny it, and not to drown in it either. Hmm. Is, is fear one of, the, one of the great ways we fall short of love? Absolutely. Yeah. And that classic choice between fear and love, it's very much operating in our world today, I think. You know, so there's so much, you know, look at look at all the responses to the pandemic. And again, uh, how we take turns. You know, we all could be, you know, be, be, be operating in a different way tomorrow, you know, but we can, you know, there's there's fear from this invisible disease and how people respond when they respond out of greater fear, they isolate, they strike out. And yet when we realize that there's nowhere to go and we realize that we have to go through it together, then we reach out, out in love and say, well, let, let's walk this way together. And so, you know, we could like say, well, we, we pit each uh, against each other, but actually we're, we all take turns there too. Hmm. Yeah. We all take turns there too. And so to help each other realize, you know, Rilke, the great, uh, German poet, Raina Maria Rilke, he said this beautiful Senate powerful. He said, let everything happen, beauty and terror. No one feeling is final. Keep going. Hmm. Letters to a young poet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so what could our, how would you invite our listeners to engage this fall and autumn season in, in the, in the, with this topic of aliveness? Um, I, I, I greatly encourage uh, those who are with us here to, um, to, to begin to inhabit a practice of holding nothing back, staying present when fear and pain and worry make us contract, expand. After you, when you feel yourself close, open. When you feel yourself running, stop. Can you just practice? When you feel yourself speeding up, slow down. 
and start to pay attention to what touches you when you are slow and open and present. The universe becomes a lot more enchanted um, yeah. when we have when we have those. The, it's the word that I things glow a bit more. <laughs> things glow, and then things start to speak to us. Yeah. So, how through that presence, we start to renew our conversation with life. Yeah. And you learn all along; it was always available. And that's all. That's what po poetry is. This ongoing conversation with life—it's the unexpected utterance of the soul. And though you know, so writing is really just listening and taking notes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. My oh my. Well, brother Mark, it's always um, such a joy to get some time. Uh, with you, your constant generosity to me and to our community uh, is something that I absolutely cherish and um, always grateful for you coming on and spending time with us. Oh, thank you. And thank you for your good work. I'm glad to be a part of it. And just let me know and we'll, we'll keep going. <laughs> How can we uh, follow you and your work in the world? I know you've got a couple yeah, of things so, that are happening this fall. So where can we send our folks? Yeah, thank you. So, um, and actually, um, in the, I've been doing these webinars on, uh, online and the next one will be in November, November 21, 28 and December 5th, three successive Sundays, all part of one webinar the theme is the fire of aliveness coming back into the world. Mm. And folks can find out more and register for that at live.marknepo.com. Beautiful. So if you guys liked our dialogue today along aliveness and want to dive further into the rabbit hole, I, <laughs> I found your guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Mark, grace and peace. Yeah, thank you so much, Ashton. You be well. Yes, sir. <laughs>